and welcome back to Curious Medicine. I'm Christy. Hi, this is Mindy. And today we're talking about resurrectionists, or they were also called body snatchers. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. On the heels of our last episode about being buried alive, today we are talking about resurrectionists. Do you have any opening stories? Um, this one time uh, in high school, I was in health science technology, and I was a member of HOSA, Health Occupation Students of America. Uh-huh. And we did um, like student observations at the hospital. Uh-huh. And we got to take a field trip to the cadaver lab at oh, UT. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, the UT hospital in Houston. Oh, my God. And I remember uh, we looked at this one dissected cadaver. And this lady was like, tell me what you can see about this. And I didn't think she had a uterus. Uh-huh. But I didn't say that because I was like, oh, she totally has a uterus. And they're going to think I'm stupid. Yeah. And then this other kid was like, where's her uterus? And the girl was like, very good. <laughs> this cadaver had a hysterectomy. And I was like, you f- <laughs> I knew it. I should have said it myself. <laughs> but you're so used to looking at like textbooks and stuff when things yeah. are uh, like colored and differentiated yeah. that you're just like second guessing yourself. Right. Yeah. That's Which I guess is why it was so important for these people to do these things because textbooks don't. Well, I guess maybe textbooks didn't even exist or they weren't started happening. They weren't correct yeah. because they, they depended a lot on animal dissection rather than body dissection. And we're going to yeah. get into that as to why, but um, that's interesting. I, you know, I don't know on the buried alive episode that Eric and I did, I mentioned that I would like to donate my body to science. Me too. And I would love to be a cadaver for some medical student to yeah. learn from. I'm so. an organ donor first. Like, <laughs> Me if you too. can use my organs, use them. Me too. But me. then after that, just <laughs> who gives a shit? Yeah. Yeah. I do not want to be buried because I think no. it's a ridiculous expense and it's yeah. a waste of land. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want my family to spend all these thousands of dollars burying me in a coffin. You know, like, no, just. Yeah like donate my organs if you can't do that donate it to science if they yeah. won't take me for whatever reason <laughs> cremate me but do not yeah i do not want to be buried yeah okay let's define resurrectionism resurrectionism is defined as taking a corpse from the grave for dissection corpse and cadaver mean the same thing a dead body however cadaver tends to have more of a scientific connotation We will be using these terms interchangeably throughout the episode. A resurrectionist is defined as one who steals bodies from graves in order to sell them for dissection, a body snatcher. They were also called resurrection men, night doctors, sack them up men. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Like sack up the body? Yeah. Like sack them up? Yeah. Sack them up. Sack them up men. (laughs) Or grave robbers. We will also be using these terms interchangeably throughout the episode. I wonder if this is where the term grave robber originated for people who like old people sexually. Oh, <laughs> like people who are attracted to the oh, elderly. Oh, I for- they call them grave robbers. Yeah. Kind of like you call someone who's attracted to young people cradle robbers. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Hmm. Except they didn't want to use their bodies for dissection. They just wanted to get their money. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
As quoted from an 18th century London surgeon to his students, there is but one way to obtain knowledge. We must be companions with the dead. All right. So before we can understand exactly how grave robbing became associated with medicine, we need to understand some of the cultural norms across time. Hippocratic and then later Galenic medicine were weak when it came to anatomy because in ancient Greece, the body was sacred and they did not cut up dead bodies. In later years, the Roman Catholic Church opposed dissecting the dead, believing that the body belonged to God, not to man. Human dissection was abandoned in favor of animal dissection. So that's why. <laughs> I guess that's maybe at the, the time they didn't see the importance. Yeah, they, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. At some point around the 11th and 12th centuries, monks no longer controlled the practice of medicine and medicine became more of a secular practice. And I briefly talked about this in the barber surgeons episode about how monks were the original um, caretakers of people with medical problems. The very first recorded dissection was about 1300 in Italy. The very first body snatching scandal was in 1319. Scandalous. Scandalous. <laughs> so scandalous. During the medieval times, the church's opposition to dissection began to fade, and the church sanctioned post-mortems to solve the mystery of what was causing the Black Death in the mid-14th century. So basically, when people were dying, you know, to your right and to your left... Um, the church was like, oh, okay, well, maybe it is okay if you guys <laughs> cut these bodies up and, and figure out what's going on. Italy was the center of scientific inquiry during the 14th century, and dissections grew increasingly common. In 1537, the Pope finally accepted the teaching of anatomy by dissection. Although the church and physicians were on board with dissection, common people weren't. And as late as 1832, dissection was considered a terrible fate of one's body after death. In fact, it was probably considered worse than being buried alive, since dismemberment of a body conflicted with religious beliefs about resurrection in the afterlife. I think that's still the only reason people choose to get buried today is because of religion. Yeah, I agree. Dissection was something most often performed on the poor and minority groups. For these people, dissection was equal to eternal purgatory. Interestingly, most people of that time differentiated between dissection and autopsy. If you had an autopsy, it meant that the person was so important that the investigation of the cause of death was warranted. So it's like a status thing. It's a status thing. Totally. Yes. The practice of body snatching, or at least the historical records of body snatching, was mostly in the UK and in America. Mindy, talk to us about resurrectionists. So there were two groups that defined the resurrectionists of, of men with different motivations of why they resorted to body snatching. Group one was those who did it for science. So medical students, doctors, professors, anatomists, and practicing surgeons. They mm -hmm. did it for educational purposes. Mm -hmm. Group two did it solely for financial gain. <laughs> So greedy, greedy. It was just comprised of gangs of opportunistic men, if you will. However, no group was any better than the other because both were willing to use any means necessary to acquire a corpse. Yeah. They were some shady people, whether they were educated or not. Yeah. 
Well, we're going to talk a lot more about each of these two groups and their antics later in the episode. But for now, let's talk about why stealing bodies became a thing. A big thing. A big thing, yes. Before we discuss the factors influencing the increased demands for cadavers, there's a little more history we should discuss. The demand for cadavers actually started in the UK in the early 1600s. Actually, probably it started in the 1300s if there right, were already a, there was episodes. already a scandal. Yes, <laughs> I mean if there were yes, yeah. So not just one occurrence, right. a scandal. This article was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You've been schooled. <laughs> um, medical education was controlled in London, at least. Not by the universities, but by the guilds of barbers, surgeons, and apothecaries. In 1540, the former joined forces to become the Royal Company of Barbers and Surgeons. And in 1541, Henry VIII granted this group the exclusive right to four executed felons a year to be dissected. So isn't Henry VIII the one that had all the wives? (laughs) I think so. Wasn't he the one, one was that, yeah, yeah that, decapitated that killed his wife or whatever because he wanted to marry his lover? Yeah, I wonder that, if he donated her body. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> From 1540 to 1832, the number of bodies of executed criminals per year that the surgeons and anatomists could legally obtain went from four to unlimited. The law basically said that these criminals had no legal right to a proper burial and the bodies were considered property of the state. Proper post-dissection burials were to be at the expense of the medical school. But how expensive would it be to bury someone? Like they have to pay for the plot? I think it was two guineas. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm totally just reaching. I have no idea. Like if they were going to take the body to dissect it anyway, why not just cremate it? And save the school money. I mean, if you're going to say the person has no legal right. Yeah. Then you're, I mean. Well, they were crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, we've established through multiple episodes that was crazy. True. In 1709, persons who committed suicide could not be dissected, nor could they be buried in a churchyard. I I get the not in the churchyard because it's a sin, but why couldn't they be dissected? Um, I, I don't know that answer. Hmm. Maybe because it was obvious the way they died and they had no clinical interest in finding out why they died. No, I don't think that had anything to do with it. Oh, you're it. right. Cause they're looking at people. Cause they who were, were also anatomists. One yeah. of these and surgeons wanted to practice their surgery. Hmm. Peculiar. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Murderous felonies were increasing, and death and dissection was the penalty as a deterrent. The Murder Act of 1751 was a London law meant to deter criminals from committing murder. This was a law prohibiting a decent burial of a hanged murderer's body. Do you think that murderers gave a shit about their body? (laughs) Well... I do actually, because <laughs> because we're going to find out that some of these criminals that were being executed were more concerned about their bodies not being dissected after their death than their execution. And they wanted their family members to show up to the execution like, hey, I'm going to be hanged on Wednesday 
I need you to come down to the town <laughs> square wow. and claim my body the minute that I am hanged because I do not want to be dissected. Wow. Yeah. I'm telling you, these people were crazy. Yeah. <laughs> they were crazy. Um, a London law meant to deter criminals from committing murder. This was a law prohibiting a decent burial of a hanged murderer's body. And further punishment by mandating public dissection. Or if the judge so decided, hanging in chains of the cadaver, which was just hanging the corpse in a public place for several days. I Have you ever seen Handmaid's Tale? No. If you even watch like the first season, they do that. Oh, really? In the, on that show, yeah. Yeah. Public hangings. Yeah. By 1789, New York State enacted a law that said a judge could add dissection as a penalty for sentencing in certain crimes. So the factors that actually influenced the increased demand for cadavers, in America, the Revolutionary War was hugely influential. Prior to the American Revolutionary War, which lasted from 1754 to 1763, American doctors were forced to go abroad to learn dissection. Large public Parisian hospitals in the 18th century completely transformed medical education by allowing students to have hands-on practice on living hospital patients and on cadavers through dissection. Most American doctors couldn't afford to attend these prestigious medical schools. Those that could did, and so brought back with them invaluable knowledge and skills that ultimately transformed American medicine. Clinico-pathological correlation was born out of cadaver dissection combined with patient observation. Ultimately, this Parisian way of teaching also spread from Great Britain and throughout Europe. During the American Revolutionary War, advances in American medicine was obviously halted. Medical leaders prior to the war suddenly became medical authorities on the battlefront, and traditional medical school lectures weren't as available. There was a huge supply of cadavers, as unclaimed bodies were the primary means of both doctors and surgeons learning anatomical dissection. After the Revolutionary War, the end of the war meant the end of a large supply of cadavers. Colonial American doctors weren't necessarily educated and anyone could call himself a doctor. That to me is I know. Crazy. I know, right? We could just hang a sign on our on yeah. our front front porch and say like there's a shirt on amazon you can buy that says trust me i'm a doctor <laughs> really yeah <laughs> trust me i'm a doctor we should get one of those yeah for some people that we know yeah agreed <laughs> there were no regulations at that time most had been taught through a short apprenticeship most doctors those with or without a formal education maintained a second career to supplement their income, which I've talked about on um, the episode where we talked about like physician reimbursement yeah. or physician pay. With the establishment of the first American medical schools, medicine was becoming professionalized. After the Revolutionary War, there was newfound freedom and a sharp rise in patriotism, which led to doctors determined to have medical schools superior to those in Europe. They also wanted the medical field in general to be independent from that in Europe. There were fierce advocates for strong colleges and for Americans to attend American colleges rather than going abroad to study medicine. America. That's right. Pride. 
1760, medical students were customarily dissecting their own cadavers rather than observing a professor, and it eventually became mandatory for students to attend two full courses of anatomy with dissection to apply for licensing from the Royal College of Surgeons. The first medical school in the United States was in Philadelphia in 1765. By the early 19th century, medical schools were slowly established across the country. Prior to this, Italy and then Europe were the leaders in formal medical education. Public dissections, which supplemented the lectures, began in 1316 in Italy. They would lecture and dissect at the same time. There were arguments made that allowing dissection of the poor and unclaimed meant less of a financial burden on society, since the post-dissection remains would be properly buried at the expense of the medical schools. Or would they? (laughs) (laughs) Also, the medical schools used all the parts of the cadaver, such as articulating bones to create full skeletons for classroom instruction, Organs preserved in jars and, wait for it, skin was occasionally used to bind books. That sounds like some Harry Potter type stuff. Or like some hocus pocus type stuff. Yeah, it says especially anatomy books. I mean, I would love to get my hands on an anatomy book from like 1800 and see if it's made of human skin. (laughs) That is creepy, creepy gross. There's no way it would still be what it is. Like, what it was. Right? Like, wouldn't it decay and... Well, they probably used alum, that drying, you know, stuff. Mindy, what are you going to talk to us about next? I want to talk about, like, the motivation behind body snatching. Okay. Money, 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 money. (laughs) Money. Make it right. (laughs) body snatchers could essentially charge whatever they wanted for a corpse and some bodies were worth more than others like if you had a fresh corpse you know before it started decaying oh yeah that makes sense a pregnant corpse oh i bet that brought in a lot of money yeah because that's like a twofer right or baby corpses any kind of child corpses which is really kind of sad yeah because obviously the body their body was stolen yeah, but I bet those were hard to come by. Yeah. Well, who knows? We're talking about an age when, you know, people probably weren't vaccinated. And then any type of like malformation or it, you would get more money for those kinds of things. A quote from the Lazy Historian blog. A doctor would buy a body for 12 guineas. Each student was charged three guineas to watch it being dissected. With an audience of 160 students, the anatomist could take in 480 guineas a session. In today's money, that would be between 30 to 40,000 euros. <laughs> I don't know how much that is in American. Another reason to snatch a body would just be for educational purposes, meaning they're not trying to sell it, but they actually want to use it. Like maybe it was a student who needed to practice or to learn from it. So educational purposes was a cause for stealing them. And then for entertainment purposes, <clears throat> God help us all. There were various uses for stolen bodies in the entertainment industry, like popular dime museums, phrenology lectures. So phrenology is defined as the detailed study of the shape and size of the cranium as um, as a supposed indication of character and mental abilities. Well, they sound like a bunch of weirdos. 
agreed. It just sounds like, <laughs> and a bunch I'd of like to know more about that. <laughs> and I can't remember what modern day show I I saw this on. All right, who were the resurrectionists? Now that we understand their motivations, let's take a closer look at each of these groups of men and exactly why they resorted to stealing bodies, Mindy. Group one, medical students, they needed cadavers for learning. Here are a few statistics to give some perspective on the increase in numbers of medical students. In London, 1798, there were 300 anatomy students. In London, 1823, there were a thousand anatomy students. Growing. (laughs) Yes. For whatever reason, only about 500 of these students each needed a total of three cadavers over the course of a 16-month medical program. Why only 500? Why only half? Um, I don't know. Maybe they had classes and they had transferred. (laughs) Um, 1,500 cadavers per 16 months for students alone, not counting the need for cadavers for practicing surgeons and professors. So this was a lot. This was a lot of cadavers. And I don't think there were that many murderers (laughs) in London (laughs) in a a few month period. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully. Clearly, this was a numbers game and legally obtaining this many cadavers was impossible. Grave robbing became a rite of passage for American medical students in the late 18th and 19th centuries. Did you know that? I didn't know that until you showed me your awesome book. I wonder if the doctors that we work with now ever had to consider robbing a grave. (laughs) I bet you they might, they're old enough that they might know somebody that did. They might have known. Are you going to ask on Monday when we get back? I am going to ask. Yeah. Okay. Harvard college students formed two clubs. One was called the Spunkers. (laughs) I wonder who came up with this name. And the other club was called the Club of Generous Undertakers. These clubs were supposedly created in order that students could engage in medical discussions. But the actual reason was to organize procurement of cadavers for dissection. Sneaky, sneaky. They were sneaky, sneaky. That's right. Doctors who were professors of medicine needed cadavers for teaching. Some were directly involved. In in the body snatching? Yes. Like at the graveside, like digging. Giving direction. Yes. Or or digging. But others. Yeah, holding the flashlight. (laughs) Yeah. Going, dig it. Don't do it like that. Yeah. (laughs) But others outsourced it to laborers laborers or slaves one doctor in particular was teaching a hundred lectures over a three-month period and he used six corpses per course because the corpses were only good for about eight to ten days due to decomposition he alone needed about 24 cadavers per three-month period this is separate from the need of his students right so he needed one to teach and they needed one to practice on right exactly There are several documented occasions where professors were shocked to find their cadaver still alive, which Eric and I described the story of a former medical student who ended up on the dissecting table, but was brought out of his catalepsy after being shocked by electricity numerous times by his own professor. So if you haven't listened to that episode, you should listen to that because it's really interesting. There are actually several 
several accounts. Which of, is just crazy to me. I know. Several accounts of people ending up there and they were alive. Here's another documented example. And the following is a quote from a master's degree thesis by Nicole Salomon. Some doctors received more than they bargained for when it was discovered that the bodies that they had purchased were still alive. Such was the case for John McIntyre, who had the unfortunate experience of being proclaimed apparently dead in 1824 and awoke on the autopsy table. In a story told from the first-person perspective, McIntyre recalled losing the ability to move and hearing the nurse proclaim him to be dead. He recalled being placed in his coffin, traveling to the cemetery, and being lowered into his grave. After hearing the dirt being shoveled on top of his coffin, he was certain that he would die. However, resurrectionists dug him up and brought him to a local medical school. McIntyre's account claimed that, Being rudely stripped of my shroud, I was placed naked on a table. In a short time, I heard by the bustle in the room that the doctors and students were assembling. When all was ready, the demonstrator took his knife and pierced my bosom. I felt a dreadful crackling, as it were, throughout my whole frame. A convulsive shudder instantly followed, and a shriek of horror (laughs) rose from all present. (laughs) The ice of death was broken up. My trance was ended. The utmost exertions were made to restore me, and in the course of an hour, I was in full possession of my faculties. So this was a condition called catalepsy, which Eric and I talked about on the prior episode. And yeah, they would just have, they would be completely cognizant of what was going on around them, but it's like paralyzed and you can't respond. That's what happens in the movie Awake. Have you ever seen it? No. uh -uh. It's, but he's actually on the surgeon's table. So they put him to sleep and they say this actually happens to people where they get the paralytic and they don't get, but they're awake in their mind. They just can't move their body or speak or anything. So they feel everything that's happening to them and they can hear everything that's going on. I think it's because they get the paralytic, but they don't get the sleeping stuff. Well, so they can't move. They can't respond. I have that fear. When I had foot surgery. Right. I have that after I watched the movie Awake. <laughs> but if Does you Does that make you afraid it, to have surgery? Um, no, because I like to play the game of trying to remember falling asleep. Mm-hmm. Like they always give me the stuff and I'm like, I'm going to remember this. I'm going to remember <laughs> this. I'm going to remember this. And then I wake up and post up and I'm like, I don't remember when I fell asleep. What did I say? <laughs> But no, it's not a fear. But uh, if you haven't seen the movie, Hayden Christensen is in it. Mm-hmm. And he is mighty fine. So, mm-hmm. And for our gentlemen listeners, Jessica Alba is also in it. So mm. mighty fine as well. Who has the surgery? Hayden Christensen. What kind of surgery? Uh, I don't think it's relevant. I think he has a heart condition. Oh. Uh, but that's not... Him being awake is not really the plot of the whole story. It's oh. what he hears. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I cannot imagine if you're like awake and you're aware, like you're aware of, you're aware of being you're buried aware, alive yeah, and you then you're can't. aware of being stolen from your grave and then you're aware that you're going to be on this hard, yeah. cold slab and they're fixing to cut into you and do God knows what. Yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right. Practicing surgeons and anatomists. 
they needed cadavers for practicing and perfecting. And yes, they did. Because right. Mindy, would you want to have surgery nope. from a surgeon who hadn't ever no. practiced? No. <laughs> no, thank you. I do not want to be I, the guinea pig. I am willing to be, um, like, I love students. Yeah. And my surgeon has residents. And mm-hmm. every time that I even go for an office visit, every time I have surgery, I'm greeted by like at least two or three different residents. And yes. I love that. I'm like, please yeah. learn. But also, please make sure your supervising uh, or attending right. uh, physician is present. So, right. so yeah. that way, if you do fuck up or if you cut an artery yeah. or something, he can jump right in and fix it. Fix it. That's so funny because my dad... <laughs> My dad, who's the most modest person in the world, went for his checkup and his doctor had, his male doctor, had a female resident with him that day. And his doctor said, okay, you know, Mr. So-and-so, today we're going to do your prostate exam. And my dad was like, um, I think we can wait till next time. Because he didn't want that woman yeah. doing his, you know, she was a young girl. And his doctor was like, no, Mr. So-and-so, you know, it's it's time. We need to do it this this no. visit. My dad was like, I don't think we're going to be doing it this visit. <laughs> He's like, yeah, we are. And my dad's like, I don't think we are. <laughs> and then the guy was like, okay, is it because of her? And he's like, yeah, I, I do not. I do not want this. And I told my dad, I said, you know, like, just like I had to learn. Right. Things she has to learn things, right? And my dad's like, "Well, she can learn on the next prostate." <laughs> He's like, "I don't care, I don't care. She yeah. can learn on somebody besides me." He is yeah. not into being the person that helps her further yeah. her education. You know, I'd like to think that because you and I have been students, like in the medical field, that we yeah. have the same mentality. But I think there are still people that work in the medical field that would have the same mentality as your dad. Like, yeah. They just don't want it. And in my head, I'm like, how, yeah, how, how can do you, you be like them? that? Yeah, how do yeah. you take the world to get more yes. of your doctor if you don't let them right. learn? Right. And yeah, just because you're a student or, you know, you're doing your residency or whatever, it doesn't mean that you're not skilled. Right. You know, yeah. Sometimes they're, and nor sometimes would your, they're more if, skilled if than If you're going attending. through an appropriate program, nor would yeah. your program let you do something that you're not prepared to do. Unless you're Dr. Dunch. <laughs> from, from Dr. Death. Yeah. <laughs> so they needed to practice at least once on a cadaver before performing a difficult surgery on a live patient. The resurrectionists were dealing bodies to anatomists who were dissecting them in medical theaters. Members of the public and medical students would pay to watch a leading surgeon perform. These performances were to prove very lucrative for the medical profession. And let me tell you, I read a book about Dr. Lister, who was, um, he was a famous surgeon in the UK in this time. And it was very interesting because he performed in one of these, um, Mm -hmm. surgical theaters and it was theater. It was just money making, but you know, but like normal everyday people would come to watch this stuff. Like if I had lived in that time, that would have been so fascinating to me. I would have been like right there. (laughs) Well, if you watch an episode of Grey's Anatomy now, they still do surgeries in the quote unquote theater where they can, the residents and everyone can sit 
up top in the quote unquote bleachers and uh-huh. there's like cameras focused yeah. in on what they're doing and they can sit and learn and oh, watch and observe. I would love that. I would love that. Okay. The following is taken from strange medicine. There are accounts of the mid 18th century surgeons, agents attending public executions in order to detract broker bid or haggle for possession of a body immediately following the execution. Sometimes they would even offer the criminal decent clothing in which to be hanged for exchange of his about to be dead body for the purpose of dissection. Bribery at its finest. (laughs) Right. Because execution by hanging resulted in slow death by asphyxiation, family members would be present at the execution, grabbing hold of the convulsing body and swing along with it hoping gravity would do what the hangman hadn't. Family members would then hope to snatch the body immediately following the execution in order to provide a proper burial. Can you imagine? No. So it's terrible. It's terrible. I know. I know. That's my point. I know. God, it's so terrible. Okay, the agents sent from the medical schools to procure a fresh corpse and the family members would sometimes end up in a fierce fight over the newly dead corpse. World star! (laughs) What did you say? World star. What's that? It's like this website where like fights get uploaded. Oh, really? It's like YouTube, but for fights? Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I've never heard of that. I feel so old right now. Remember when you couldn't think of the word G-string? Yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel right now. Okay. However, even though the bodies were free, there were certain costs associated with picking them up immediately following execution, and it was actually cheaper to buy from the resurrectionists. Mm. Than to yeah. bury? Yes, apparently so. But the resurrectionists, like you said, they could charge any price. So it must have been hella expensive to give a proper burial. Mindy, do you want to talk about talk to us about the group two people? Yeah, group two. So the non the slimy, non medical slash yeah, educational people, bad boys. Yes, the opportunistic, <laughs> the gangsters, <men>. the gangsters. <laughs> they want to be on World Star. <laughs> So at first it was mostly like cemetery watchmen or hospital porters, which I think is like orderlies or, Mm -hmm. you know. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, They would either work individually or they'd work with one other person. Uh Uh-huh. Quote unquote professional resurrectionist or body snatchers. They worked in groups called companies and it was made up of like three to 15 men. I think with 15 men, you can get a lot more shit done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So, well, unless you have a bunch of lazy ones. Right. Uh, Body snatchers might watch the graveyard to figure out where the most recent bodies had been buried. Because remember, they needed the bodies before they started decaying. Yeah. They might bribe the servants of the newly deceased for access to the corpse. They would remove the body and replace it with weights. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. Although I don't really understand why, like... Before it was buried? Because why else would you need to replace it with weights if it was already in the ground? So it had to have been before the burial. Right. Yeah. I think um, 
maybe, yeah, maybe they were having like a wake, but they didn't have an open casket or whatever. Oh, yeah. Or an open coffin. Yeah. Um, those like companies or the professional resurrectionists with experience, they could take two bodies and fill in the holes in under 90 minutes. Mindy, I wonder how long it would take you and I <laughs> to dig a grave. Pull out Longer a body. than it <laughs> takes for the sun to come up. We wouldn't, we wouldn't get away with it. I mean, I don't even think I could dig a hole for, to plant a tree. <laughs> listen, listen, some of these gangs could get up to six to eight bodies a night. You and I couldn't oh even God. get one. Okay. You and I couldn't even get to the head of one. <laughs> six we would eight. start digging and be like, this is miserable. Let's just go get drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just go talk about people doing this. Terrible. <laughs> well, sometimes um they would hire uh professional mourners What's like that? people who mourn so um fakers yes fakers mm. they were most of the time women and they would attend the funerals of the recently deceased and they would report back to the company they'd report back the age and the sex of the deceased where the grave was located and any booby traps that may have been installed at burial which we'll get to the booby traps later what yeah, you and I will get to the booby traps later. <laughs> okay. Um, but when hired by the body snatchers, these women or the professional mourners, they would, you know, collect a small finder's fee. But the odd thing is what they really liked in payment. Uh-huh, Can what? you guess what it is? Let's see. Um, was it some kind of like notoriety or? It was the hair and the teeth of the recently deceased. Yes. They would cut off the hair and I know, I know you're like, what the heck? Well, they would cut off the hair and the teeth and they'd give it to these ladies and the ladies would sell the hair to the wig makers and they'd take the teeth to the dentist or the barber surgeons or whoever. And they'd make a set of dentures out of them. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I know. I'm like, is this some kind of witchcraft? (laughs) Right. Double, double boil in trouble. (laughs) a dead man's tooth (laughs) you know and the hair from a corpse (laughs) (laughs) okay that makes sense i was like what is she talking about yeah sometimes those women they would claim the the bodies at the dead of the dead at poor houses but also um the women were actually sometimes they were actually hired by the families of the deceased to attend the funeral to make it seem like the deceased person was of importance. Wow, that's a status that's, thing. That's a reach. <laughs> hey, they still do that on uh, what? On um, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the site where like you can post an ad for something but get murdered. What? <laughs> You're going to know what I'm talking about whenever we say it. Um, God, Grindr's the only thing that's sticking out of my head. When you post an ad for something. like you Oh, Craigslist. Craigslist! (laughs) Okay, tell me again. You can post an ad on Craigslist for like, hey, I need need you to come to a wedding with me or come to this funeral with me and pretend to be this person. That still happens as a status quo type thing, just like these women were doing. Isn't that wasn't that a movie with um I'm sure it was a Sandra Bullock 
um, where the proposal where she. Oh, yeah, but that's totally different. Oh, okay. I'm talking about like someone who's like not like she worked with that guy. Uh huh. You're going to post You're on Craigslist stranger. because you need a stranger. Yeah. Oh, okay. You need someone to come. It's the same thing. I actually, I don't know if this was a joke or not, but um, I saw a post on Craigslist for some guy that was like, I'll pay you $100 to streak at my sister's wedding. <laughs> would you, to ruin it. Would you do something like that, Mindy? Would I streak for $100 yeah. at a stranger's wedding? No. Would you streak for $1,000? No. For $10,000? Uh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, me and Gloria both. Would you? Would you hire? Uh, would you? Would you be hired as an escort to like a wedding as a pretend date? Hell yeah! Yeah. Would you hire a pretend date? No. No, me either. No, but I think I just enjoy being alone so much. I would never <laughs> want to spend time with a stranger and feel obligated to. Yeah, you're certainly not going to pay somebody right. <laughs> to ruin your right. alone time. Exactly. <laughs> okay, got exactly. it. <laughs> uh, but occasionally, like the families would hire these women to do that, to be the status quo at the funerals. But then the body snatchers would recruit them as they were being like a witness to the funeral. So then they would turn and be like spies for the, for the companies. Oh yeah. They were sneaky. They were yes, getting, they were, they were getting money in both, both hands. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. But when you're talking about like gangs and rival gangs, this goes all the way back to the 1800s. Yeah. In 1816, some guy named Murphy, one of the company's leaders, they organized a strike against a London teaching hospital and refused to provide any more bodies until the price was raised. So it's like they went on strike. So strikes have been around also since like the 1800s. <laughs> yeah, that would be an interesting. The school started buying cadavers from these uh, like freelancing uh, body snatchers that outraged the gang who had gone on strike. So as gangs do, uh, they broke into the dissecting rooms, threatening the students who were performing on the cadavers yeah. uh, with knives, and they destroyed the recently purchased cadavers. So they're like, I'll fix your re little red wagon. Right. So the students obviously called the police, but although they were called to avoid pub publicity, the surgeons and the students... Um, they weren't only forced to negotiate with the gangs, but they also had to bail them out of jail. Oh, <laughs> this that is, would be so annoying. This is like, like some somebody, mafia gang right, type stuff. Yes, yes. The mafia comes, they fuck you over, and then, and then you, you have, have to, to go bail yep. them out. Yeah, yep. that would piss me off. Yep. For sure. Yeah. So, like, later years, this, this guy, Murphy, he also... Um, <laughs> He drove rival operations out of the business by denouncing them to the police, spoiling their cemeteries. He forced surgeons to sign an exclusive contract with his gangs, which was called the Burrow Gang. His contract included 50 guineas of starting money and finishing money, supposed to be used for bribing officials, but really was just an added fee, like any <laughs> landlord yeah. does. <laughs> And uh, a high price was set for materials. And um, Murphy also had a reputation for selling bodies to one hospital and then stealing them from that hospital and reselling them for another. So this is some true gang Gangsta. 
some gangsta, true gang, straight yeah. up gangsta. His gang could be vicious in their animosity towards individual surgeons. For example, Joshua Brooks, who is a private teacher of anatomy, he crossed them. And Murphy sent the gang, Murphy had the gang send Brooks an unconscious man in a bag in lieu of a corpse, <laughs> pretending that it was a corpse. See, this is how you, you know, think, yeah, you're right. supposedly dead and then you end up on a cadaver. Right, because a gang got table. to you, it was yeah. going to use you as a plot. Yeah. Well, the trick was only discovered when Brooks tried to roll the body down the cellar stairs and then the man just popped up out of the bag and ran out of the house. <laughs> oh my God. But also to note is uh, Burke and Hare. In 1827, so maybe like 10 years after this, uh, the infamous pair who couldn't stomach body snatching resorted to murdering people <laughs> to obtain cadavers. So, well, that's interesting. Yeah. They couldn't stomach. They couldn't okay. stomach grave robbing. Right, right. But they so could let's just stomach the actual yeah. act of murder. Well, in about a year's time, they murdered like 16 people. Yeah. Oh, my God. There's like movies made of this guy. These guys. Right. Yeah. They weren't the only ones to resort to like these radical means. British uh, resurrectionist John Bishop and Thomas Williams also resorted to murder. Mm, so were. it was a popular theme. Wow. Yeah. I mean, who knew that medicine had such a a crazy right. dark history, right? Right. Hmm. Well, however, these guys weren't on the side of medicine. They were on the side of the mind. Right. But they were providing. Oh, but they were surgeons. They were providing cadavers to doctors and surgeons. Yeah. So, and, you know, just to, just to reiterate, surgeons were not doctors at this time. Right. Anyhow. Well, doctors weren't doctors, apparently, at this time either. <laughs> right. No one. Just claim. Trust there, me. There was I'm no such thing as a doctor. <laughs> Trust me. I'm a doctor from the Victorian area. Yeah. Era. <laughs> If I can say era, I can never say era correctly. I always want to say area. Chrissy, tell me like the typical way that bodies were snatched from the grave. Like how did oh, it happen? Okay. Now we're going to get into the good stuff. Yeah. Mindy. Let's get into the nitty gritty. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, well, they usually worked in groups and men would go to the cemetery at night because it was dark. During this time in history, graves were actually quite shallow. So they weren't six feet under. They were, I don't know how yeah. many feet they were under, but not six feet. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if the whole six feet thing came because of body snatching. Oh, ooh, that would be interesting. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. Because when I'm sitting here saying you and I would never make it to more than one <laughs> body a night. Right. It's because I'm imagining digging six feet. More and than six just, inches. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> if it's more than six inches, right. it. we're not going to, exactly. we're not going to finish. Um, well, they used a wooden shovel to minimize the noise. And there's a quote from the article called body snatchers, a grave medical problem that says at night, two members of the gang would appear and carefully laying a sheet on the ground would uncover the head portion of the grave, dumping the loose dirt on the sheet. The body would be pulled from the coffin head first with ropes, the shroud stuffed back into the grave and the dirt carefully replaced. The grave robbers then would cart the body off to the dissection rooms and hand it over to a porter for 
a price adjusted according to the size and condition of the corpse. They were careful to take only the body because according to the law, a corpse didn't belong to anyone since the person is now dead. But taking the clothes or jewelry or anything else was considered theft since those items were considered to belong to the family of the corpse. A corpse was considered abandoned property and stealing a corpse from the grave was a matter of public indecency and not felony of theft. The only exception to this law is if the corpse had been stolen for the purposes of witchcraft. They would fix the ground surface to appear as though nothing had been disturbed. There Smart. Were, yeah, yeah, they were, they, they were clever. An alternative method, which must have taken much, much longer to accomplish. About 20 feet from the head of the new grave, a manhole-sized square of turf would be removed. They would tunnel down about four feet deep, remove the end of the coffin, pull the corpse out through the tunnel. If relatives noticed a small patch of disturbed turf, they would, sus- they would not suspect body snatchers since it was far from the grave. Generally, the whole process took about an hour. That is outrageous. I know. I know, right? I don't know if I could dig a hole. Much less a tunnel. I know, right? And tunnel through there. That seems like a lot of work. Skilled body snatchers left no evidence that a grave had been robbed. Yeah, you and I would be classified as novice body (laughs) snatchers. Right. I I think we would get caught. Yeah. We would start a riot. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. <laughs> We'd be the scandal. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Mindy and Christy of Curious Medicine. <laughs> Mindy, talk to us about the ways in which, you know, cemeteries and family members tried to prevent grave robbers. Yeah, there was obvious tension rising between like the public who was against grave robbing and everyone else who had the vested interest in procuring cadavers, like doctors and medical students who were willing to obtain cadavers at any means necessary. So these families or the general public would would put these processes in place to prevent body snatching. Mm -hmm. So cemeteries, they built watchtowers some of which had openings in the stone walls allowing access for use of guns to be aimed at persons <laughs> bothering a grave. Wow. Extreme. Yeah. I'm imagining like the top of a castle that has... Like a Rapunzel? Exactly. Like Rapunzel. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but opposed to the guns, some of them were just built so to hang bells in those openings. That way it could alarm um, the staff that assistance was oh, needed yeah. on the grounds. Some of the cemeteries hired guards and some of them booby trapped graves. You could booby trap a grave with a landmine. <laughs> yes. That's a crazy. Landmine. And, but how deep were these landmines? Cause people do visit, <laughs> people do good, visit cemeteries, right? Good, and what if you're just walking around? Hey grandma. Boom. I think you better stay in the new section of the cemetery when you go. <laughs> One story uh, described a child's coffin filled with gunpowder and fused so that it would explode if anyone disturbed it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And to think, like like we just said, 
they weren't six feet underground. Right. These were shallow graves. Yeah. Easily you could set that off. Yeah. There were also mort safes. What's that? It is a heavy iron and it's padlock cages placed over a fresh grave, which could remain for up to six weeks or until decomposition had rendered the corpse undesirable for dissection. So I guess they were giving it six weeks to decompose before body snatchers would say, Oh, that's not a good one anymore. Like shopping for an avocado. Oh yeah. (laughs) This one's not good anymore. Mindy, would you care if somebody robbed your grave? Like, let's say that you hadn't been donated science. You hadn't had your organs donated. Yeah. You had not been cremated and you had been buried. Yeah. In 1800, would you want a more safe over your grave? I think it would depend on the opinions of my family, right? Because I don't care. I'm dead. Yeah. Right? It would yeah. depend more on if I thought it was going to cause my family grief. Yeah. Or it's going to cause your family grief. Yeah. So then it would bother me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So what else you got? Well, when you're looking at a mort safe or like a mort house or a mort, va- mort vault. Yeah. It just looks like if you're looking at a flat piece of land, a cage is on top of it. Yeah, it does. It's, it's a weird looking cage, right? It doesn't, I don't even know how to describe it. It doesn't, I don't know. It's kind of strange. How would you describe that? It looks. It like, looks like a bed frame with multiple wires set. On oh top yeah, of the that's grave. a good idea. Yeah, I mean that's like a lifted good off the ground. Yeah, yeah, like a like a metal bed frame. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it's so heavy that they couldn't move it. Yeah, but if you have fifteen men in your company, right? I think fifteen men could move this, but they might not. They might decide, you know what, it's not worth the effort. And that's why they were able to get like six to eight bodies. That's true. Because that's they, true. Would they were working in groups of work. like three or something. Yeah. yeah. Do you think three men could lift that? <clears throat> mm, well, it depends. I mean, if the grave wasn't yeah. that shallow, surely that thing isn't built into the ground so much. Yeah. But it had to deter, deter somehow. Otherwise, they wouldn't have even yeah. bothered with it. Right, right, right. Um, sometimes they'd use granite buildings used to house a corpse for six weeks to three months, which also allowed for time, the time for decomposition. Um, the roof was made of stone or slate and the door was two parts, the outer made of wood and the inner made of iron. I wonder why the roof and this was made of stone and slate or stone or slate. I wonder if that was just as another extra layer of deterrent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That way no one could break in through the roof. Yeah. Like if it was a straw roof. Yeah. (laughs) It'd be like the three little pigs. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. The last one is a coffin collar. It's an iron collar that's placed around the corpse's neck and bolted to the floor of the coffin to prevent the corpse from being dragged out of the end of the coffin. Okay, that's the best. That's what I was going to say. I've heard of so far, and that seems very legit and and a low cost and also not obvious. Yes. So my order would be a coffin collar, yeah, (laughs) and then a mort safe, and then last resort, the granite building. Yeah, if you cared. If I cared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely go for the iron collar if I cared. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. 
It was far better for a body snatcher to get caught by the police and arrested than it was to be caught by an angry mob of citizens because crowds, they maimed and killed resurrectionists in this era. Imagine body snatching like these people's loved ones, their bodies were getting snatched. And it's that's why they're saying it's better for them to just get arrested, because if you get caught by that that child's father yeah or that wife that woman's husband yeah sorry yeah. about you yeah you're gonna be the next one dissected yeah <laughs> yeah right here on the street yeah yeah but that's a good segue into our next topic about the anatomy riots yeah so let's talk about that they um the anatomy riots there were at least 20 riots between the years of 1785 and 1855 April 16th, 1788 was an historical day. And it it was when the doctors, quote unquote, doctors riot occurred. There were two catalysts for the doctors riot. So medical students at Columbia College robbed graves, mostly of African American slaves. When freed slaves requested the city council intervene, the students began stealing bodies from the white graves. And this incident, the following story is a quote from New York Magazine. One Sunday night in April, a young boy playing with his friends spotted a dismembered white limb hanging in a window of a hospital on Duane Street. One of the students, John Hicks, noticed the boy and waved a dead arm. This is your mother's arm, Hicks reportedly said, mocking the boy. I just dug it up. By coincidence, the boy's mother had recently died. He ran to his father, a mason working nearby, who, with friends, visited Trinity Church Cemetery and found that his wife's coffin was indeed empty. What the heck? The men returned to the hospital. A crowd formed, then a mob. The hospital was raided. A witness The concourse assembled on this occasion was immense, and some of the mob having forced their way into the dissecting room, several human bodies were found in various states of mutilation. Enraged at this discovery, they seized upon the fragments as heads, legs, and arms, and exposed them from the windows and doors to public view with horrid imprecations. The city was accustomed to mobs. In some ways, the revolution had been sparked by mobs convincing the ruling class through violent, though mostly non-fatal action. But this mob was big. Its members spooked and angry. About 2,000 people watched as doctors and students were dragged through the streets. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of bystanders. Yeah. Magistrates persuaded the crowd to release the students who were taken to jail for protection. By now, about 5,000, the mob marched to the jail demanding the odious Dr. Hicks. Mayor James Duane called out the militia. He was accosted with a hail of bricks and stones. Soldiers were ordered to fire. An estimated 20 protesters were shot and killed. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's significant. Yeah. Who knew that medical history had such a shady past? Right. In 1789, medical students continued to snatch bodies, and the state of New York passed the following legislation. Okay, this is what I love. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Let's see if Christy can get through this. 
The act to prevent the odious practice of digging up and removing for the purpose of dissection dead bodies interred in cemeteries or burial places. Wow. That's a mouthful. (laughs) And I said it right on the first try after two margaritas. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen. Um, essentially, this established how and where the medical field could legally procure cadavers in the state of New York. Much needed. Yeah. And about time. Right. So now we're coming to the end of an era, Mindy. Only after the Anatomy Act was passed in 1832 did body snatching come to a halt. The Anatomy Act stipulated that post-dissection remains would have a Christian burial. There was fear by doctors and politicians alike that the Anatomy Act would cause a backlash against the medical profession. The editor of The Lancet was concerned that the public's distrust of dissection would only be fueled by fear that the poor would have their bodies sold rather than donated. There's another quote from a Grave Interest blog. And it says the anatomy act of 1832 finally put a stop to most body snatching by legally increasing the supply of cadavers for medical purposes. After his passage, the unclaimed dead from prisons and workhouses were then donated for medical study and dissection before burial, greatly increasing the number of cadavers available. After its passage, the act was protested by mobs of paupers and the poor who feared their bodies could be sold for medical research without their consent. The medical community became worried that their source of bodies would stop dead. So they began keeping medical reclaiming activities quiet, a practice that continued well into the 20th century, actually. And although it's been 185 years since William Burke was executed for his crimes, anatomy murders or killing for a body still do occur. In 1992, um, in Columbia, a man led police to a warehouse where they found freshly killed bodies of 10 paupers and body parts belonging to 14 more bodies. Night guards at the medical school were allegedly coaxing garbage pickers and street people into the building and then murdering them so that the medical students would have fresh bodies to dissect and making about $200 per body. Wow. In 2005, Michael Mastro Marino, CEO of a company called Biomedical Tissue Services, was arrested for stealing body parts, some infected with HIV and cancer, and selling them for tissue replacement. He was charged with running an illegal bone, skin, and tissue harvesting scheme in New Jersey and sentenced to prison where he died a fitting death last July of bone cancer. Karma's a... Yes, it is. I saw a Bones episode about that. Really? Yeah. Where this little girl was dying of cancer and turns out she had a bone graft done a few years ago when she broke her leg skiing or something and... Didn't that just piss you off? Yes. Like, because it could have been preventable. Yeah. Had the doctors done the research. Yeah. Because the bone that they put in her was from this elderly bone cancer riddled person. That just irritates me so bad because, ugh, yeah. Yeah. How so can you trust un- doctors? It's so unethical. Yeah. Yeah. 
So in closing, we have another quote from an article titled Body Snatching, A Grave Medical Problem by Julia Bess Frank, which I think uh, aptly summarizes what we've talked about today. But the cause and the product of the frictions that existed between physicians and the public in 18th century England, the resurrection trade may be viewed as a bizarre example of what can happen when a profession and a society find themselves at a cross purposes during a period of rapid scientific advance and far reaching social change. And you know what this makes me think of is like all the genetic testing and yeah, like um, everything that's controversial. And, yeah. Yeah. All the stuff that's controversial right now. Well, thank you everybody for listening and we hope you'll join us next week. Thank you, Mindy, so much for doing this episode with me and uh, tune in next week. Thank you, everybody. Bye.